so uh, this is a big week for our church family, and more of you are acutely aware of it than some others. I had a young man come to me at a wedding yesterday and say, I said, hi, I greeted him, and he goes, base camps this week. That's right. Tomorrow we have a large section of our body that's going off to camp, to base camp. I got my base camp shirt on from eight or nine years ago, and this is the theme again this year. It'll be a little different than what it was then, but, but this is it, and I'm always looking for a reason to wear a t-shirt while I preach, so here I am. And I am so excited for those adults and our kids that are going on base camp, and I just want everyone to be aware of that. If you're going to base camp tomorrow, would you stand up, family, adults, kids, Ray, stand up, everybody, check it out. Stay standing. Stay standing. Thank you. Stay standing. We want to just pray for you. And that, uh, so, so stay standing and we're going to pray for you. Okay, let's bow. God, for this crew right here that's going off to escape from just the day-to-day life that they live and going for the purpose of being together in Christ's name. And as they focus on something that's important to this church family, because it's important to you, and that's to follow to follow Jesus and all that that means. Thank you that these children are going to be learning this more at such an early age, even as the adults are learning along with them, and we're all learning together, God. Make this church a little bit more like Christ because of this camp this week. We pray your blessing on this crew right here. Let them see your son, Jesus. That's that's what we ask because that will change them. That will be enough for them. And for all of us, we love you. We love them. And we pray that you just bless this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. And you adults that are going, thank you so much for, for serving our little ones in this way. I know you're going to have a blast and uh, it's going to be great. So I'm excited to be back. I was gone last week on a trip to visit my daughter in Colorado. And Greg Ogburn, one of her elders, did a great job. Thank you to Greg for uh, preaching th- that week's text in 1 John. I'm glad to be back there. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, but before we go there, I want to just ask a question to set up what I want to kind of give to you today. How do you know when you're on a journey? What are some of the telltale signs that let you know that you are traveling, that you're on a journey? It's not really a trick question. It, I know it kind of sounds like it when a preacher's saying it, but I'm really just asking simply, how do you know when you're on a journey? So last weekend, I was on a journey, and as I was reflecting on this text, I just asked myself, you know, as I was traveling to Colorado to see my daughter, how, how do I know? One, one telltale sign that you're on a journey is you're moving, right? You're moving. There's a distinct difference between movement and being still, and being in the same place, that's, that's a distinct difference. See, it's not a trick question. If you're moving, that is one sign that you might be on a journey. Another sign I thought of was you can track your progress, right? You can say where you've been. You can identify where you are. You can identify where you're going. And so there's all kinds of different categories through which you can track progress. There's not just one way. So one of the ways might have been, you know, I was in Texas. I'm now in New Mexico and I'm headed to Colorado. And so you can track your progress. So if you can track your progress, that's a sign that you might be on a journey. Another sign is that the scenery changes when you're on a journey, 
right? So my wife would call, and she would say, hey, where are you? And by the way, every time she called, I would have an answer to that question that was different than the last time she called. That's another sign that you're on a journey, but that one's just for free. So the scenery changes. When she'd say where you are, I'd look around. I would check to see. And so literally the scenery would change, you know, from plains to mountains, you know, and different. But, but also the signs would be different. That's what I was always looking for, just look for a sign, because they would always be different whenever I would look around. So if the scenery changes, that's a clue that you might be on a journey. So contrast that image of me on that journey in my pickup truck to me coming to my office and plopping behind my chair behind the computer. Right? Or, or going home and plopping on my bed with a remote control. Those are two destinations that I frequently find myself plopping down into. If I were to ask you, it would be very obvious which one of those pictures, me in my truck or me in my office, is a destination and which one is a journey. And so, see, it wasn't a trick question. It's very, it's, I, why am I spending so much time on something so simple? It's because today I want to remind you of something that I think is of maximum importance for Christians. And that is that Christianity is best understood as a journey, not a destination. It is so important to know this and to understand this. If if Christianity is going to be, I said best understood, but really if it's going to be understood, it needs to be understood as a journey. And far too many Christians, without even realizing it, when they declare that they are Christians, they are without thinking, they are using destination thinking. They're, they're saying, I've arrived somewhere. They're, they're making a declaration of a place that they believe they are in, rather than think of that declaration, I am a Christian. Rather than think of that declaration as a confession or a revelation that I'm going a certain direction. Right? That I'm, that I'm headed a certain way. If, you've been, if you're a new Christian, I'm going in a new direction. If you've been a Christian a long time, the confession that you're a Christian is that I am steadily headed towards and have been for a long time. Christianity is understood as a journey. And too many Christians make that declaration as if they've arrived somewhere. And that's destination thinking. See, Christians are supposed to think of their declaration, I'm a Christian, is I'm, I'm moving. I'm headed somewhere. I've got a target and I'm going in that direction. So it's as simple and confusing as the difference between moving and moving. Right? So if you move to a new house, you're moving in. You're going to a new destination. If you're moving... Like, say, headed east. That's, 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 that's journey thinking as opposed to destination thinking. And Jesus, I'm not just making this up, Jesus definitively uses journey language in his life, in his ministry, and in his speech. It brought to mind this time when a teacher of the law, teachers of the law get a bad rap in Scripture, and they earned it. Okay, but this particular teacher of the law has decided that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the guy. And so he says in Matthew chapter 8, he says, the te- it says that then the teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you 
wherever you go. And look at Jesus' reply. He wants to be sure. This teacher of the law that knows scripture has decided to follow him in contrast to all the other teachers of the law that he's talked to, but he needs to declare something first. You need to understand. And it's that this is a journey you're signing up for, not a destination. Look at what he says. This is first or not. Come on! He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He wants to be clear. What you're signing up for is a journey. You're not moving. You're moving. You're making a decision to go on a journey. Y'all remember the old hymn? I have decided to move in with Jesus. Y'all remember that? It's not how it goes. I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a journey. It's a journey. Now, being a Christian is more like looking at the horizon and pursuing it than it is looking at a place and moving in. And so that's, that's, that's what I'm wanting to get across today. So now, I'm, one quick word. I'm not poo-pooing destinations. And I don't know, can I say poo-pooing? Okay, well, I'm not poo-pooing destinations. Destinations are important on a journey, but we should think of those more as milestones along the continuing journey. Not, not necessarily as the destination that I've arrived to. And this, so this is super important. If you do, this is how important it is to me for you to understand this. If you do not see Christianity as a journey, if you don't see your walk with Christ as a walk with Christ, then you won't have a relationship with God in the way he wants you to have it, and you will not have a walk with Christ if you see it as a destination, as in a set of rules that you need to adhere to, and then you're done, or a practice on the weekend that you go to church once a week, and then you're done. It's more than that. It's a journey. So you might be asking, what in First John, Brian, we're in First John, what in First John brought this up that you wanted to tell us about this? And, and why do you feel it's so important? Why are you making such strong declarations? So let me just spend the rest of my time telling you those two things. So it's in 1 John chapter 2 that this came up. It's verses 12 through 14, if you're following along. And, and John does something here that he doesn't do in the rest of his letter, and he doesn't do in his gospel. He wrote, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote that. That's a whole accounting of the life of Jesus. And then he has these three letters. So he leaves his normal. I don't think he did this in John either in his book. So he leaves his normal prose and his normal letter writing, and he busts out into verse. Just for these three verses, he busts out into poetry. And so here's what he says. I write to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one. So there's a lot of places you could go with this little poetic interlude of John's, but here's here's where I go. At face value, it does sound like John's telling us some more reasons for why he wrote this letter, right? I mean, he's using that language. Now you remember, I'm reminding you every week why John wrote this little five-chapter letter. 
He wrote it to his people, and it's what he wanted for them is what I'm wanting for you, and it's why we're preaching through it. He wants, I want you, he wants you to have actual, regular God contact. He wants you to have an experiential relationship with him, not strictly an academic one. He wants you to really encounter him. He writes, and he says this, to make your joy complete. He writes this to keep you from sinning. That's one of his big deals. And he writes this so that you can have confidence that you have eternal life. He wants you to be confident of that. You have eternal life, but he wants you to be confident of it. He wants you to walk around as if you're sure. So those are his reasons. And it does sound like he's adding to those reasons here because he uses this language. I'm writing to you because. I mean, you would think that would be more reasons. But he doesn't actually add any reasons to this list here. I would have added them. Rather, he's saying, I have all this message for you and I'm talking to you in different stages of your life because you're in in different stages. He's identifying different categories, stages along the journey. That's what I was drawn to here today. He separates his audience into three categories. He calls them little children, he calls them fathers, and he calls them young men. And in doing so, it seems to me John is acknowledging something that I see all through Scripture and in the life of Jesus, and that there are stages of development that he's acknowledging within his audience. That not everyone is in the same place. And these different stages of development are on this journey milestones if you will so scholars disagree whether john in this little poetic interlude is is literally talking about the ages of his audience because he wrote in poetry form so that you know you can say anything in that so is he talking to little children like the ones going to base camp and then young men you know teenagers and into early 20s and then fathers because they're older or is he using a spiritual analogy here that that we grow up spiritually we know paul does that Right? He uses that analogy. He calls new Christians baby Christians that need milk, but that we need to progress on his spiritual adults where we can, you know, grapple with some spiritual meat. So he might, either way, either way, it doesn't matter for the point I'm making today. And that is that there are stages in this journey that he's acknowledging. So that's the answer to the question of what in First John provoked me to remind you that Christianity is best viewed as a journey. And it's not, this isn't a new thing for me. It's embedded in everything I do. And it's embedded in what we do. Even our vision statement is to love first, become like Jesus, and advance his mission. You can see that we identify even that discipleship pathway as a journey for you. We love first to connect people to God and to the church. But then we want to, that's connect. Then we grow in order to become more and more like Jesus. And then we go on his behalf and on the church's behalf on this loving mission of God. So it's not new, but it's important. And it's been a while since I just paused and said it overtly to you. So that's where it came up in First John. Why? Do I think adopting this biblical view of Christianity as a journey is so important? Other than the fact that it's biblical, right? It's why is it biblical? Why is this how God presents Christianity? And so I just want to spend the rest of my time telling you a few reasons why I think this is so important. There's a lot of good news in this. So the first reason is because seeing Christianity as a journey allows for grace and compassion, acceptance, and freedom. I know I'm not the only one in this room that 
has been disturbed on occasion at the level of condemnation and guilt that a lot of Christians carry around. And, and for others, but also for themselves. And for themselves, and also for others. Both are disturbing, given what Christ came to do and his message. Seeing Christianity as a journey allows for grace to be potent for you in your, with yourself and with others. It protects us from this misguided belief that I've got to get it all right in order to be a Christian. I have to know enough now. I need to be moral enough now. That's destination thinking. And it doesn't allow for grace. It demands condemnation. It demands lack of grace. It demands guilt and even fear. I think of people, I used to be a youth minister for 14 years, and I definitely saw it there a lot, but I still see it. Still see it in adults today. That people who, they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They see him as Lord and Savior. The Spirit is infiltrated, and they believe. But they're waiting to give themselves over to it, to be fully immersed into it, to be baptized into that belief, till they get some things right first. It says destination thinking. I gotta be there before I'm there. I need to know enough before I'm there. And then on the flip side of baptism, I've seen people after they were baptized, maybe when they were younger, but earlier for sure, they've learned so much more about God. Or they look at all the sins they've committed from the first time they were baptized and they think they need to be baptized again. Because that's destination thinking rather than journey thinking. There's no grace in destination thinking. There's no acceptance of where we're at. That's destination thinking, and you're defined. You feel like you're defined by your mistakes, by your shortcomings. Sin is real, okay? It's real. And remember, sin just means falling short or missing the mark. So there's a lot of things that we do that are sin that might not top the list in your mind of what sin is. When we sin, not if we sin, when we sin as Christians, that is not a commentary that we're not there as Christians, we're not at the destination of Christians. That's destination thinking. Sin is nothing, it's supposed to be nothing but like runway lights for a, re- a revelation to us of where we get to go next. Not where we have to go next, even. Where we get to go next. Our sin is a revelation of the next thing that, as First John talks about, the next thing that God wants to take over and squash in our lives on this journey as Christians. That's journey thinking. So journey thinking does that. Just a one-two punch from Jesus on this. A lot of you know John three sixteen. You know that verse. It's, uh, you know, for God to love the world that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. But John three seventeen should be just as memorable. He, it says, in our day and age, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. The one person that could condemn is the one that won't. And then the followers of him will. Because we adopt destination thinking instead of journey thinking. Paul got this in Romans 8. He said, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
There's no condemnation. I wonder why he would need to say this if Christians in Rome weren't struggling with condemnation. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And Paul does a great job in Corinthians, a better job than John, actually, of saying something that describes this destination or this journey thinking. He says now in, in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, he says, Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is judgment. No, there is freedom. There's freedom on this road. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed, being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. I I notice there's certain motions I do regularly up here. This is one. Have you noticed over the years? I do that because it's it's all over Scripture. I keep finding Scriptures that say, in ever-increasing glory on this journey, this is a journey that we're on. You can be a Christian, not have it right. But you're on the journey because you're following that horizon. You're, follow, you're going east towards Jesus. Journey, not destination, allows for all the good of the good news. Allows room for that. Grace, compassion, freedom. Second reason I think this is so important is because journey thinking gives, gives us excitement and life and adventure in our spiritual life. Okay, we all, I think everyone wants some measure of life and excitement and adventure. Everyone's looking for that, and every, a lot of people find it in a lot of horrible ways. And a lot of Christians do that because they haven't found it in their spiritual life. John Eldridge is a, is a man, a minister that has this great ministry to men that has blessed me over the years and he pointed this out early on for me, that if you go into most churches, and he does men's ministry, so he's talking about men, but it can apply to women. He says, and you look at most men in the pews of most churches, you know what word describes them best? Bored. Kyle's done a good job at reminding us of this on occasion, that, that men are bored. It can happen to women too, but He's, like I said, he's doing men ministry. They're bored with church. They're bored with Christianity. And that is a great insight. That is a great insight that rings true for a lot of people. But I want to take it a little bit farther. Whose fault is it that those men in those church pews are bored? It's theirs. It's those men's fault. Because they have adopted a Christianity that's false. They've adopted a Christianity, a a destination view of Christianity, that this is all there is. Going to church, trying to be a good moral man, you know, leading prayers at the dinner table. And if that's what they've subscribed to, they've subscribed to something the Bible doesn't describe. And that's on them. Now, churches have a responsibility, and that's when this mostly comes up for us around here, because we're in church leadership, and we don't want to present a Christianity in a destination sort of way. So churches do have a responsibility to let those men and all of you know that Christianity is a journey. That's what I'm doing right now. That's what we're doing all the time. So if you're bored and you don't have life in your spiritual life, you don't have adventure and excitement in your spiritual life, you've adopted something that we're not talking about. You've adopted something else. 
So if you make the agreement that this is all there is, you know, whatever that list is, going to church, maybe teaching a class and, you know, just a few little things, following some rules, then for you, that's true. That's all it is. But it's not what Jesus described. And it's not what Christianity is. And don't be surprised if you're bored. And here's the danger in being bored with your spiritual life. All of us are rigged for life. All of us are designed to pursue life. That's what we're after. And that includes adventure. And that includes some excitement. And if Christians don't find it in their spiritual life, they will find it somewhere. Tell me I'm lying. They will find it somewhere on that computer screen or in making money or in, in serving, even in serving others. Serving others can take the place of spiritual life that would include serving others, but it's not the God that we follow. So don't be surprised if your version of Christianity is destination that you're bored, but that's on you. C.S. Lewis said this in terms of the adventure part. He says, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So that's another reason it's so important to me that you see Christianity as a journey and not a destination. I got one more reason, but it won't take me long. So we're going to wrap up on this one. So let me ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and move around the room. They do this, guys. They and their spouses do this just to be available to you. If you need a touch today, if something has touched you in our worship or in our teaching, or you want to know about this, Jesus, some more, that's it. they're up in the balcony and they're around this room. You feel free to get that touch. So here's, here's my final reason. I think this is so important to see it as a journey because Christianity as a journey gives us hope, like undeterrable, uninterruptible, unassailable hope. Hope is so important. And see, if you see Christianity as a destination, a bunch of your hope is going to be stolen. Okay? But if you see it as a journey, hope. Let, let me explain. I am sad at how many Christians, Christians, disbelieve in their own ability to change or in other people's ability to change. Christians. I am saddened by how many Christians resign themselves that this is just the way I am or that's just the way they are. Equal sins in my opinion and inappropriate for Christians. Everyone is going I'm not saying changing is easy. As a matter of fact, it's not. Transformation. Difficult. You've just trying to change your diet. You've learned this. Everything a Transformation is, is tough. It is difficult, but it is possible. And everyone who dares believe it and dares try it in any arena of their life, including their spiritual life, they need someone out there besides themselves who believes in it, who believes that transformation is possible, that change is attainable. He needs, he or she needs not just someone. You need someone, but preferably a community of someone's and that's supposed to be uniquely us Christians and Christians do not need to look at the capacity of themselves or someone else to change to have this hope 
If you do that, you won't have any hope. You know, there, we need realists. I'm not one of them, but we need realists out there. But many Christians defend their disbelief in Christianity as a journey and people's ability to change by calling themselves, I'm just realist. They are the way they are. That's never going to change. Christians do not get to say that. I should say Christians don't ever have to say that. And you don't have to have any belief in that other person or in yourself if you're trying to change. It's just simply your belief in God. It is not your belief in their power and capacity to change that keeps hope alive. It is your belief in God's power and capacity to change. You see it? Christians are the ones that have this kind of hope. That relationship you're thinking about, it can change. It can. That sinful habit in you or in someone you love or someone you don't love, it can change. That bad attitude can change. That stubborn self-centeredness, that can change. That wayward child, they can change. They can change. That dysfunctional marriage or dysfunction in a marriage, that, that can change. Anyone out there no matter who they are or what they've done, they can change. And so can you. So can you. So are you, are you on a journey? Are you on a journey spiritually? It's easy to tell. Are you moving spiritually? Can you track your progress? Can you say where you were five years ago, where you are now, where you're going next? If you are, you might be on a spiritual journey. Is the scenery changing? This one's easy. I can tell whether your scenery is changing or not. So can you. Are you bored? The same old scenery is always boring. But if it's changing, you're not. That's how you know. So I've got good news for you. Even if you're stagnant, even if you're still, even if you're unmoving, there's hope. There's hope. But it takes taking a step. What time is it? I got one more little story. I got a call from a buddy this last week. Grew up in my youth ministry. And we've been tight ever since. And he called and he said, man, I want to hear, I, I kind of found myself in a stagnant place. And it's been that way for a long time. And I've been avoiding the subject. And so I recently went on a retreat. Some, some of y'all know it was over the course of three months, four, six, five months, however many months it was. I was gone one weekend out of each of those times. And, and that retreat was just really good. And he happened to know I had gone on it. He goes, tell me about that retreat. Soul Well is what it's called. Tell me about Soul Well. And so I'm telling him about it. And later I got to, why are you asking? And he told me, it's because I'm stagnant and I'm needing to do something. I'm not moving. And here's the key, church, and you've got to really confront this. You've got to really confront this. Because he did, and he said this. He said, I'm not moving, and I like it. I, I, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. I don't want to shake it up. But deeper, he did want to and knew he needed to and knew he was dying before he was dying. That's what that comfort is. It's a death before you die. Don't die before you die, church. And so in a day, in a 24-hour period, he signed up, got his plane tickets, got his rides to the other two retreats, and he got it all handed. Sent me a text. I wish I had my phone and I could read it to you. But he said, he said, in the, thank you for the phone call in a matter of 24 days. And he went through this list of stuff that all worked out. You could do that. Revolution is this far away. But it might as well be a mile away if you're not going to move. 
But that's what Jesus wants for you. It's a journey. Get on it. We're on it together. Let's stand and let's celebrate this God of hope and the hope that we have because of this great journey.